0: you just use one of my favorite like kind of like themes. One of my favorite themes is I want everybody to be a seeker. If you're a seeker and an explorer, that means that it could lead to discovery. And if you have discovery, that means you could raise your awareness. If your awareness is raised, that means you could put that into action and that's how we evolve, right? It so is, if, if anybody's literally, you know, feeling like if you guys found this and you're listening to this today and you're like I'm vibing with this, I don't know who the guy is, but like I'm vibing with what he's saying, it's because you were meant to find this today. You were meant to listen to this. You're meant to to hear this conversation and maybe you're meant to give yourself permission to explore something a little bit different or deeper or further or request further elaboration in your own life as you know one of my favorite characters from WandaVision said so I think it's really a kind of cool thing to be a, an explorer bonka, bonka, bonka. born in 92 on the block with the shark from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to the park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie. Top 1% globally ranked podcast in the world, and that is because of you. The way that you tune into the show, the way that you share the show, rate and review, subscribe, all of that good stuff, So we're kicking off this episode with gratitude. Thank you for showing up for yourself here and utilizing Decoding Success as your source of goodness. Now, with that said, our guest, who you just heard a snippet from, said something to reinforce something I say often. You're gonna hear a sign in this episode. Yes, a sign. A sign that you are supposed to be here. A sign that really locks in the belief that there is a reason you're listening to this particular episode and this particular podcast right here, right now, for a reason. There's something within this episode that you truly need, so I'm just preparing you for that. Now, our guest today, an incredible individual, I genuinely mean this, we had such a good vibe together, our friend John Edward, American TV personality, author, world-famous psychic medium, who helps people reconnect with those who might not be in our life anymore. Now, John and I are going to be talking about finding, owning, and growing our own abilities, trusting our intuition, or re-trusting our intuition, because the way we're parented, the way we're conditioned, the way society brings us up, we might stray away from trusting what we truly feel. We're going to be talking about the grieving process after loss. Now, I'm not just talking about after loss in the sense that someone's no longer with us here physically on earth, which is something we all experience, but loss of a job, loss of a pet, loss of a car, loss of a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, fiance, wife, whatever. We experience loss. So we're going to be talking about the grieving process. And there's something at the end of this episode that you must hear for yourself. I can't give. Everything away, But what is at the end of this episode is something near and dear to me, and I genuinely appreciate John sharing it with each and every one of you. Thank you again for joining us. As you know, these episodes are totally free, but if there was something that we would charge, a fee, it would be to share it. Share it with someone on social media in a text message, email, word of mouth. Be the reason someone near or far from you has a better day today. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, John Edward. John, welcome back to Decoding Success since you were just with us and technically happened. I appreciate you thank hopping you, on you. here, John.
0: No, no worries. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, uh, I had mentioned right before we got cut off, I hear New York in your voice. Are you a New Yorker?
0: I am a New Yorker, yes. Born, born and born raised. raised? That's a beautiful yep. thing. Whereabouts? Well, I started off in Glencove, a little bit in Queens, then Glencove, Long Island, and now Huntington.
1: I love that. I'm born and raised in, in Queens. Part of Queens. So I'm in what's called quote unquote middle village. No one's ever heard of it before. Super small town in Queens. If you're familiar with like Queens Center Mall, we're right around that general area. So
0: Gotcha. I gotta I ask grew up on like I grew up on Union Turnpike and Springfield Boulevard and
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Do, do you ever feel like you've had an advantage as a New Yorker in life due to the fact, again, just for everyone listening to this and watching this, I always make it known that when I ask a question like this, there's gifts no matter where you're from, no matter who you are. Sure. I'm just curious. Do you feel like you had some sort of edge per se?
0: I do. I mean, I think that I think New Yorkers, when I say New Yorkers, and again, you'll understand that from where you grew up and live. I mean, in the outer region of Manhattan, not upstate New York, you know, like the city, quote unquote city. I think growing up in an area that's city adjacent, New York gets a bad reputation as far as being like in your face and attitude. And it is. And I think with my work, like what I do and how I do what I I do. Definitely has an influence from being in this area. Interesting. How does your work and being from New York intertwine that? So there are a lot of people that do this work that come from the New York area. So being that I was born and raised here, it's kind of like a knish. You know what I'm saying like, you know, that you can go to a deli and there's you're going to be able to get like certain things in certain places. So right. there's certain things in certain areas. Well, mediums apparently come out of like New York and Long Island. So because I was raised in an area where there was a, you know, maybe proclivity for it, where that language was able to be spoken, when my ability started to be pursued, I had that as kind of like normal. It was normal in my area. I wasn't born in a rural town in some other state where in the Bible Belt, it might have been a very different experience.
1: Absolutely. Now, I'm curious, you referred to yourself as a medium. Is that the societal way to define what you do? Because just from watching your interviews and knowing your work, it almost seems as if what you do is have like really being in touch with an
0: intuitive sense. Right. So my actual title would be psychic medium. So the differentiation is that a psychic is somebody who has the ability to connect connect with energy, talk about the client that they're working with, talk about where they're coming from, what's happening now, and a projection towards their future. Whereas a medium has to be psychic first, uses the same capacities and faculties, but they're making a connection with the spirit world, with people who have crossed over. So when people want to come through, they're using the same kind of kitchen to deliver the food in the way that a psychic with every medium has to be psychic but not every psychic is medium
1: interesting now i've heard you answer this question before but to bring everyone up to speed i'm really curious how did you know that you had this gift
0: so i was a smart ass new yorker growing up and my mom's (laughs) my mom's side of the family used to have psychics come to the house all the time to do what would be considered a house party and i wasn't allowed to be around it my dad was a new york city cop he was a army guy not a fan of the subject matter at all wouldn't let me be around it and then as i got older mom and dad separated i moved into my grandmother's house that was what i would call the paranormal hub and i had adopted more of his philosophy that it wasn't real that the mother and her family were crazy that like all of the things that people would look at me for i actually had that opinion and at the age of 15 i went for a reading to debunk one of the women that came to the house and her name was lydia and that reading just blew the doors off my understanding of what the world was like at the age of 15, and that kind of was my trajectory. So I wanted to learn how she did what she did. How did she know what she knew? I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that this woman kind of like walked around my mind or my life a little bit and knew stuff mm. that I did not tell her. Like, that was not a comfortable feeling. So my journey wasn't like, oh, this woman told me I had this ability and then I was going to do this. It was more like, hmm, how do I like figure out and nobody could ever do that again? Interesting. And That was my trajectory. Like I knowledge, you know, like anything else, the more you learn about something, the more you understand it. And back in 1985, you know, I would sit on the floor of the public library trying to learn as much as I could about, at that time, the occult section. I was embarrassed to check the books out.
1: I was going to ask you that. I'm curious. Like, you know, you grew up Roman Catholic, a New Yorker. I'm just curious. You have this gift. What was it? I
0: I like to use the word ability.
1: Okay. So let's go with ability. You have this yeah, ability. I'm curious what it was like to navigate potentially feeling different for that ability, if that is how you felt at all.
0: You know, I don't think the feeling different part happened with the ability. I think I okay. always felt different. Like when I was a kid, I always felt like I wasn't connected, even though I came from a very large Italian family on my mom's side. And I felt like I had you know, a ton of brothers and sisters because cousins are pretty much the same thing on that level. I guess when I like, look back on that, and nobody's really asked me this question. So but when I go back, it's not having the ability that made me feel different. It was feeling different that made me understand my ability better. It's probably the first yeah. time I ever phrased it like that, to be honest.
1: Yeah. There, was there any sense of feeling outcasted?
0: Nope, I can't say I felt outcasted. Good. I think i no, nope, I don't think I felt outcasted. I think I, you know, I, I've always had a very discerning, critical thinking kind of vibe because my dad was a, he wasn't the kind of father that was very loving and supportive emotionally and mm. communication wise. If I would like have a problem with homework, I'd go to my mom being like, can you help me with this? And she said, go to your dad. I hated that answer because go to my dad never was it's B Now go watch your TV show. It was, well, let's think about this, let's go deeper. You know, I didn't wanna take the class all over again with him. I really just, I wanted the answer to get the homework done, get the ice cream. Like that was my, and I remember the sense of dread anytime they would be like, well, go ask your dad. And like, I really don't want, really, really don't want to. But I feel like because of how he thought, I kind of did think like that. Like I forced myself to think in that kind of like, have your answers ready because he's gonna like, you know, interrogate you. Like it's gonna be like, well, why is this? And how come that? And he always did. There was always that, and it didn't matter what it was. So I think, yeah, I I kind of felt not an outcast, but that I was searching for where did I fit in and why.
1: That's a beautiful thing. And I'm curious to get your perspective on how people can discover their own abilities, right? Sometimes we hide them, sometimes we're scared to explore. But what's your take there? Someone listening to this, how can they discover what they have inside of them?
0: I, I want everybody that's listening to this, I want everybody to know. That there is nothing special about me, except I've just worked at my own sense of intuition. We all have it. You have it. They have it listening. I think the reason why I will stop everybody and say, not gift, ability. Um, I like to, I love words. I'm an air sign, right? So Gemini, Libra, Aquarians are all air signs. So if anybody listening to this is an air sign, we like words. So as a Libra, I like words. So... I like to look at where words come from and like words have meaning and the vibration of what a word. So when you say gifts that for me carries such a responsibility, like, and, and a lot of ego comes with that. Like, you know, here's my gift. Whereas if it's an ability, now it's something that we all can possibly use, develop, understand, which to me is what the whole, point of me being able to be a teacher in this field is is to get people to recognize their own ability. Now that doesn't mean that they're gonna go do readings. It doesn't mean that they should go do readings, but it means that they can pay attention to their intuition to get a better understanding, a feeling about embracing what's coming up for them, make a more empowered decision. Not one that's coming from a place of fear, but one coming from a place of grounded understanding.
1: Interesting. You're a Libra you mentioned.
0: I am. When's your birthday? The nineteenth.
1: The nineteenth oh wow look at that. I'm October seventh. Yeah. I'm a Libra as well.
0: Oh very cool. Well there you go.
1: We got that connection. That's why I'm bringing it up. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. I'm curious to learn how you started to trust your intuition. Now, does that stem back from the first reading at 15?
0: So I'm laughing, smirking for the listeners because in front of me at all times is this trust. Wow. So this rock is really, really, yeah, this rock is really, really old and it's always there because I think people in my field have always fallen into a place of I have to be right. And if I'm not right, you know, then, then you're not good. And I think one of the greatest gifts, and I will use the word gift here, that I was given when I first started was from a mentor, her name is Sandy. And Sandy said to me, just know that you don't always have to be right. Mm-hmm. She paused and I kind of felt like, you know, 16 years old listening to somebody say you don't have to be right. It's kind of like, well, that's like a doctor not having to be accurate when he's doing surgery. Like you want your doctor to be accurate. She goes, but you have to strive to be accurate. I was like, whoa, like that was a really deep, like, psh- moment for me you don't have to be right but you have to strive to be accurate and that means that you're not worried about the perspective of how you're looking you're not looking at the perspective of what somebody's going to say about you you're going to trust the information and the energy that's coming through that's pretty much what i do and i've done it for 37 that's years now
1: that's a beautiful it's thing really it, hard it, it leads yeah. I mean, it leads me to ask, right? Because you talked about your upbringing, parenting style and whatnot. A lot of people, and when I say a lot of people, I'm, I'm in this boat without a doubt. We're almost taught as children not to trust our intuition when our parents say to us, stop crying or right. you know, man up or whatever. So what's your advice for those people? And whether, I mean, they don't need to admit it. I'm admitting it for them. Like, I don't always trust what I feel in my gut. Like, what's your advice for them?
0: I think what's important is to really honor what you're feeling, not what you're fearing. So if we honor what we F-E-E-L as opposed to what we F-E-A-R, right? I'm spelling it out for a reason because I want to make sure that people are really getting this. If we honor what we feel, then we can actually go, well, no, I feel not good about this, as opposed to the fear of if I don't take this job, then I'm not going to get another one, right? So fear could be a motivator, both positive and negative. But if we honor the feeling that I'm getting like, hmm, This doesn't feel right. Then I think that's important. And sometimes when I'm standing in front of an audience of people, you know, I'll have, I'll I'll get a pull to an area and say, I'm going to be in that section that I'm getting. And then I'll give the information that I'm receiving and the person or the row or the area that I'm pointing to will have like zero reaction, Mm -hmm. but there'll be 20 other hands that go up going, oh my God, that's for me. That's for me. And I have to go, no, no. It's not because I feel I'm there as opposed to having to worry about, oh, my God, do I look like I can't do this right now? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for anybody, whether it be emotionally in your relationships, if it's at your job, if it's, you know, you know, feeling a little bit like you're on the outside looking in with societal norms because norms are changing in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot of hot topics you know, buttons that you can trigger people with immediately. So if you're somebody like me, and I'll be forthcoming and say that I am a person who believes in science. I'm a person who looks at data. I'm a person who is a critical thinker. I'm a person who chooses to double mask and wear goggles on planes today, like by today's standards, when most of the people on the airlines are hacking, sneezing and coughing like nobody's business. But I was also the same person before there was a pandemic who would lie sold down my seat before. So I'm germophobic, but more germ aware. And when you fly you know, you can get sick on a plane. So you do things in a certain way. And then you wait for the looks like, you know, the eye rolls or like, why is he blah, 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 blah. I don't care. (laughs) And the reason why I don't care is I trust what I'm feeling, not what I'm fearing.
1: I love that. I have an immense curiosity about your line of work. Like if you're walking down a street in New York City, are you Mm -hmm. able to just read anyone or do they need to like give you a sense of like letting them in or letting you in per se?
0: Technically, I can do that. Like, I am, I, like you and I could walk down the streets of Manhattan and you could be like, tell me about them. Really? And I could. I absolutely could. But you and I could also follow that person home to where they live, wait till they go inside and then like go into their backyard and stare at them through their house and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it has the same connotation for me. If somebody hasn't given you permission to enter their vibration, it's really not appropriate for you to do that. Now, yeah. I know this because I've been doing this for four decades, but by today's standards, when you have reality shows and you've got podcasts and YouTube and social media, people do these like ambush reading things where, you know, it seems authentic and organic on TikTok when the lady runs up to the person in the, you know, in the mall, in the shopping center and they start attack reading or giving a message or recounting or canting, whatever happened. But the reality is it's not okay. It's just not okay. It's like not okay to enter someone's vibration without their consent.
1: Absolutely. Now, what do you feel like through all of your years of experience is the number one reason, or if you can't give me one, top sure. three reasons people come to you in the first place? Like what are people seeking?
0: It's never changed. Number one, they want to know that they're okay. Anybody that's coming to me for mediumship and wants to connect with their loved ones, they want to know: one, are they okay? Two, are they still around and see what's happening in my life since they've crossed over? And three, do they know that I love them and that you know they they love me back, or that they're not disappointed? Like it's really just about connection. So I always tell my clients: like when they say, "I just want closure," and I go, "No, you don't." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "You don't want closure. You want connection. Closure means you're putting an end to the com- to the conversation." We want the conversation to continue. So a medium like myself just gets in the way a little bit to go, oh, look, the conversation still can happen. It's got to be a little different now. You know, there was a time where you and I would have had to sit face to face with each other, set up an appointment, travel to the same venue, sit next to each other and do what we're doing right now. And then it changed and we could do it over the phone and now it's changed again and we could do it like this. Right. So it's kind of like, what is the medium that we're using? Well, the medium might change, but the conversation doesn't have to.
1: Interesting. So. On the topic of connection, it makes me want to ask a question pertaining, like you you bring up death, right? People that have crossed over. What if people want connection with someone that's still alive? But okay, sure. for boundary purposes, right? I mean, I want connection with an ex-girlfriend, but she's back with her ex-boyfriend, you know, but I would still love right. to know. Like, does she think about me? Does she still love me, et cetera? Is that possible? And I'm going to throw in a part B here because this is the part that I'm really curious about. What about if a baby's born and still in the belly? Like, So that's the question. I'm really curious about that.
0: So I could tell you that. Have you ever bought a a brand new car? Like ordered a car? Okay. When did you get in the car? Did you get in that car in the factory? Did you get in the car when? When did you get in the car? When you got the car delivered? Right. Yeah. So I always think in terms of that energy is going to get in that car when it's delivered and you drive it off the lot. That you're not going to the factory to sit there and watch them put the tires on. You're not in the factory waiting for them to put the transmission in. You're you're not watching them put in the you know the the windshield. You're waiting for that car to be delivered, but there's a tether still. So you have a contract for that car. So I believe that we have an energetic type of contract with a family that we're going to potentially come into. Whether that actual car happens, what if the person can't afford to buy the car and you say, oh my God, I, I can't do this. I have to cancel the order. It doesn't cancel the driver of the car. It doesn't eradicate the soul. So whether there's a miscarriage, a terminated pregnancy, a pregnancy that gets interrupted because of another healthcare thing, we still stay tethered to those souls with so those energies. So if somebody had, I don't know, six pregnancies and two kids, I'll literally say, you have six kids? And they'll go, no, I only have two. Now I know, I have to do psychic math, subtract it and go, I have four unaccounted for. And that, depending upon the age of the person, will tell me be the miscarriages, terminated. Sometimes if I get a lot of them, I know that they were fertility type of experiences where some of them are not viable, but the energies are tethered to us. Mm, so
1: Yeah, that's powerful. I'm curious, what's a question you wish more people would ask you?
0: a question that i wish more people would ask me is should they seek out grief counseling
1: should they seek out grief counseling all right so let's dive into this what does grief mean to you
0: so grief is the the loss of connection with an individual and that can happen through a breakup a divorce Yeah, Alzheimer's death. So we grieve the loss of a job, the loss of a move. Grief happens in various different ways. It's not just like somebody dies and you grieve. It's like we grieve the the loss of a childhood. We grieve the loss of innocence. We grieve the loss of an occupation. There's a lot of different ways to grieve. So I think because there are so many ways to actually grieve, it's important to be able to know how to grieve and to give ourselves permission to be able to feel that, you know, you went back to something earthly, going back to something you said earlier is like, you know, we're told like, don't cry. Like, you know, you know, I was the person that when my kids would cry, I would let them cry. And then I would say, can you put words to that? Can you tell me what you're feeling? Like what's making you cry? Give me the words. Now, once again, I am an air sign. My son is an air sign. My daughter is an air sign. So I knew to communicate with them with words. And I would say to my daughter when she was young, I'd be like, Oh, I I don't know what all this is. I go, but I want you to feel it. And then if you can, just give me words so that I can understand, you know, what it is that you're feeling. And that's how it I would her whole thing was find your words. Find your words. So whether we're talking about a two-year-old or a 22-year-old or a 42-year-old or a 72-year-old, you know, there was a woman that I did a reading for and I believe it was her stepdad. She had an argument with her stepdad, went off to school, and he decided to take take his own life. And she lived for 40-some-odd years, 50 years, with this heavy responsibility of guilt that it was because of her that he left. He made that choice. She ruined the family. And here I am doing a reading. The guy's coming through, basically saying to her, "Mm, it's not your fault, like you didn't do that. That kind of giving herself permission to feel that, as opposed to the permission to fear what could have happened was very healing. So she had to give herself permission to grieve that.
1: Yeah. Now I want to backtrack just a second on the topic of grief. You know, you mentioned, and it it all makes sense, right? Because people seek connection. And when you mentioned grief, you mentioned like the loss of a job. It made me think of my father when he was in a car accident you know, he's still here, thank goodness. But the car that he crashed was directly connected to his parents who are no longer here. Okay. And that's the first thing that came to mind. So just for clarity purposes, grief could mean material, could mean experiences, et cetera, correct?
0: So yes, but think about it this way. Everything carries vibration, right? So that vibration of that car has a sentimental value the car might be worth a dollar but to your dad the car's a million dollars because it's a million dollars of mom and dad's connection it's something that he could see as a placeholder for mom and dad and now that is no longer here and now he feels untethered to his mom and dad because that was his touchstone so if i was talking to your dad and hopefully you'll hear this i would say that was just the symbol that was the representation right the reality is they don't care and i know this factually they don't care about cars and money and houses and jewelry. The most important commodity is love and connection, communication. And that's what they care about. So as long as your dad is okay, healthy and communicating and, and being vibrant and dealing with his emotions regarding his loss and grief, again, I want people to seek out counseling because it plugs them in to the source of what they're missing, right? So I use an analogy of a life like, a you know, when you see somebody on a boat and they get the life raft, that that circle, that circle raft, yeah, I, I see one of one side of the circle is being grief and the other side of the circle is being love, right? So here you have this like ring like cushion, right? One side says grief, one side, one side says love. And when we're tossed into the ocean of loss and we just, you know, we don't know what sides up. We grab onto it. We grab onto the grief side and we hold the grief really, really, really tight. Part of what I want people to do is to recognize that if they flip that around. The other side of that, and definitely there's a pun there, the other side of that is love. So I want you to bring the love side closer, not the grief side. But you have to do the process of flipping the grief over to get to the love. And I think people can't always do it on their own. And then sometimes yeah. they make they make decisions, Matt, where they go, you know, down a dark road. You know, they make choices, they sabotage relationships, they react instead of communicate. And then some people might try to self-heal with alcohol or drugs. They do whatever it is that they feel like they need to. There's an escapism that sometimes comes in with grief. And I'll say this, that for anybody that's in the first year of loss, if you guys are listening to this, I always like to make sure I get this across. I feel like it's like become like a cornerstone of my work. The first year of loss is what I refer to as the coasting year. How we go from event to event, month to month, birthday to birthday, holiday to holiday, and we get help. You know, People are kind of there for you. But then the second year rolls around and life goes back. People go back to doing what they're doing because they got you through the first year, all the firsts. And usually that second year of loss will rock an individual to their core and they will be quiet about it because they feel like they don't get, they don't have the right to say, I'm not okay. Cause they got all this help, you know, or whatever the perceived help is. So that first year of loss is kind of like the coasting year. And the second year of loss is the brutal, raw, real to me, first moment where the person is now navigating it. So if anybody is listening to this, and you guys are like gone through that second year, you're in that second year. Or more importantly, you know somebody who's going to that second year. Just be really, really, really aware of that. Communicate with them. Don't leave them to their own devices. Make sure that they know that they want to still talk about that person that they can, because people don't feel like it's okay. Like some people will say like the most ridiculous things to people. They'll they'll be like, you know, oh my God, it's been 18 months already. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta move on. Yeah, like it's crazy. Really? People
1: say stuff. Yeah. I agree. I have a million and one conversation, uh, questions. <laughs> so many firstly being, and I, I just want to put this out there. I don't mean to be insensitive by asking this. I'm not sure. trying to offend. I just don't know how else to ask this. Cause I'm, I'm a student here a right now. I'm curious to learn how much ego is tied into grief,
0: how much ego is tied into grief.
1: The reason I'm asking that is because fuck, this is crazy to say we don't, you know, probably better than anyone, I don't know what death is. I'm still here. I have I lost people in my life? Yes, I have. Have I cried at that? Absolutely, a hundred percent. But I almost feel what's coming up for me is the reason I'm asking this question is because I feel like ego and uncertainty are very much so tied together. Ego wants to keep us comfortable and safe. And that's why I'm asking it. It's just like death is uncertain. How much does us feeling that our connection to whomever may have passed being gone, not knowing where they are, not knowing what's happening? That's why I'm asking. It's just maybe ego doesn't have anything to do with it.
0: I don't know. I think you're really good at this. I think (laughs) there's a great door that just opened for me to be able to look at things in a little bit of a different way or to approach what I've already been doing to look at it. So I'm listening to where I thought you were going and what you asked me are two completely different things. So I was like, what? Yes, I think that people can get stuck in the moment of their grief because of how they define their relationship with that person. And let's say that relationship was abusive and negative, then that person could stay in that abusive and negative place. If that person was grieving the loss of somebody who passed by suicide, then that person could feel the responsibility of, could I, should I have, would I have done something differently to keep that person here? So yes, I could. I think that there's a level of ego there, but not in the ego sense of how, like, I'm so good, ego. Yeah. You know, like a self-identifying aspect of our personality and how do we see the reflection in the mirror of ourselves with that person with that connection and now they're gone so how do I see myself so how do I define myself without that person and I think again a great reason why working with a counselor can be really really helpful because it gives you the opportunity to explore like these types of areas like gives you an opportunity to go a little bit deeper and then maybe discover things in a way where you go huh I didn't see that. Like, I'll give you an example. I lost my mom when I was 19, and I'm I love holistic medicine, and I go to a holistic doctor in Michigan, and they have somebody there that that works and does an energetic type of machine that reads your energy and can give you your kind of like a well, not a reading, but it's like a reading. It's kind of really kind of really cool, but it's based upon your meridian points and your energy. So she basically tells me that I'm having issues, pulmonar, like issues pulmonary, like lung related issues, pulmonary issues, and spine related things. And I remember like looking at the woman who had done to me before and always very accurately thinking like, you must have the wrong slide because I don't have any of that. And she said, no, no, this is, this is you. And I'm like, yeah, this is not me. I'm like, I'm pretty in tune with what I'm feeling. And I'm all good. Like neck's good. Lung's good. And she's like, did you have any pneumonia? And we go like, now she's like digging deeper. And then she said, yeah, it's like presenting like some severe pulmonary thing and cervical disc disease. And as soon as she said that, I was like, wait a second, hold on. I go, my mom was misdiagnosed with cervical disc disease and was being treated for that before it got revealed. She had terminal lung cancer. And she just looked at me and I went, she goes, well, it's in your energy. You're carrying that wow and i was like what do you mean i'm carrying that She goes, it means that you need to deal with your mom's passing and this was like maybe seven years ago and i'm like i mean with all the respect i kind of have dealt with my mom's i do this for a living like i wrote about her i, I lecture about the loss i went through like all of this in a very nice polite kind of way but like kind of like joking about it she goes from what perspective and i'm like what do you mean from what?" Per-? i go from my perspective I go from the perspective of a 90 year old kid who lost his 48-year-old mother. And she looked at me and went, well, what about from the perspective of being like a 46-year-old father of two? Have you dealt with it from that perspective, being that you're approaching the age that she was when she passed? And it was like legitimately, poof, like getting hit in the head. I went, "Ooh, no, can't really say I did that. And she goes, exactly. We have some work to do. So I think we're all uh, like a work in progress, right? So in that moment, was my ego tied into the identity of who I was and what I lectured about and writing my books? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely was. And then it kind of processed itself in a different way and presented energetically slash physiologically in a way that I had to go back and kind of resupport the 19 year old version of myself as a father of two.
1: Right. I have to ask this question. I, I think it's appropriate to ask this. And you you kind of broke it down year by year, but what's a step by step process look like in regards to grieving? and you know letting things move through us versus holding on to them
0: so i don't know if i'm qualified to answer that i can only tell you that i really highly recommend people seek out actual therapeutic counselors people who are trained in grief i can give you my sideline experience of watching i would recommend people give themselves permission to feel what they're feeling i think having a grief journal is really significant I've given the exercise of people in your dad's example that you used, it would be like writing a letter to his mom and dad about the loss of the car and what that means to him, Mm. getting it out getting it on paper, getting it expressed. It helps to keep a bridge between us and them. So I think that's important.
1: Going back to the car, I wanted to access earlier, but we, we moved forward. Our, now that the car is gone, for instance, right? And I'm using my dad as an example. I hope he doesn't mind. Sure. Can we shift the meaning of something, right? So for instance, the car is no longer here. That, that had some sort of symbolism, right? Because mm-hmm. he went with his parents to get that car, et cetera, et cetera. Can we then take the meaning of that car and then shift it somewhere? else is that a possibility sure.
0: for us we, yeah we, we put that energy where it's supposed to go to the true core energy of the person so it's mm-hmm. really about mom and dad and the relationship dynamic not about the car right it's about the experience of connection and if it's about the experience if it's about the experience of connection between parent and child then that means then that dynamic reflects to you Absolutely. parent and child right? So it's about how do we communicate? How do we do that? So if you're the youngest of three, then he's got three kids to be able to go to and go like, boom, boom, boom. This is how I communicate. And by the way, you would communicate differently with different people. So he would communicate differently with his mom than he would his dad. So if there's different kids in the family, there would be different ways that we would communicate.
1: Now, I have a feeling I might know how you would respond to the question I'm about to ask. It's very random, but I'm really curious to hear your take on it. Through your work, through your own life, what do you feel like life actually means?
0: I think that we're here. I'm going to give you less of a Catholic answer, more of probably a Buddhist answer. I think that we choose to come into this world to learn lessons Mm -hmm. and to have this experience of life. I think if you were to look at your blueprint of your life, which is your natal chart, and any astrologer would be able to do your best natal chart which is the blueprint of like who you are where and like that has to do with like where you're born the time the date where the planets are so even though you're a libra sun sign your rising sign would be different your moon might be different and then all your planets are going to be different so you can have like 10 libra's in the room and you can have 10 very different types of libra's not just on their Difference of their dates. But I think understanding why we're here, like what are the lessons that we are here to learn? So sometimes I'll be doing a reading for somebody and we'll get into some lesson type stuff. And then I stop and say, I think I've taken you as far as I can. Now you need to go a little bit deeper. So if I was your general practitioner, now I'm sending you for an MRI to back up what I just discovered or think i'm feeling so let's get some statistics to back that up go have your chart done and specifically tell the astrologer that you had a reading this came up and you want to look at this in your chart and it's been very very successful for people like to have that yeah it's been really 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 like really cool to see some of the breakthroughs that people have when they look at the reflection of who they are through the lens of astrology
1: right i actually had that done earlier this year first time ever I'm born and raised Catholic myself. I have In God, I Trust tattooed across my chest. So it was kind of like stepping out of a comfort zone per se. But uh, I did that in the beginning of this year. And then in August, you do with- a gentleman do you on Long Island,
0: actually. Okay, it's probably Robert Cook, right?
1: Yes, Bob yeah. Cook. Yeah, it was with Bob Cook. And then in 20, 20- that's so crazy that you knew that.
0: Well, then in- he's got a very positive reputation astrologically. Yeah, yeah, it was with Bob. I've Cook. never met him. I've I've never met him, but I've always heard really good things.
1: Yeah, he was great. He he was very fun to work with and then I did something with Sonia Chauquette in August of 2020 which was interesting as well. Is uh, she an a oh, She's not. I don't I don't know what she is to be honest. I mean that sounds pretty shitty to say because she's coming on the show in a little bit i'm gonna have to tell you because i'm gonna feel really guilty if i if i don't say anything
0: <laughs> but, um, well let's but let's look at let's look at what you did with the astrology and and what i laughed yeah. about when you said you know i'm you uh, you know catholic and and god we trust and the whole i have a really good friend who's a catholic priest and like he and i are like best friends and we were having a conversation one day and he's very open to the subject matter he said you know the bible is a very psychic book and i laughed and he said something about you know he goes what were the three what were the what were the three guys that helped you know mary and joseph and you know with the north star and i was like the three kings and he goes or and i went wise men and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna like totally fail like you know catholic 101 right now and i'm like what are we going for he goes dude they were astrologers they were following the stars he goes, wow. they were guided by astrology. He goes, don't let anybody in the church tell you differently. He goes, it's just not reflected that way. And I, my mind was like, oh, yeah, oh, okay.
1: The way I look so. at it is, is if God or whomever is listening to this, whatever they view God as, right, Wh- whoever, the universe, if it was created, you have access to it. Right. Like that, that's meant for you. That's the way I look at it. And that's why I started to expand my horizons and dabble and explore and see what people would say.
0: And a lot of the things that came back were accurate, some of which I'm still trying to figure out. But, but like, here's what's important. You just use one of my favorite, like, kind of like themes. One of my favorite themes is I want everybody to be a seeker. If you're a seeker and an explorer, that means that it could lead to discovery. And if you have discovery, that means you could raise your awareness. If your awareness is raised, that means you could put that into action. And that's how we evolve, right? It so if, if anybody's literally, you know, feeling like, if you guys found this and you're listening to this today and you're like, I'm vibing with this, I don't know who the guy is, but like, I'm vibing with what he's saying, it's because you were meant to find this today. You were meant to listen to this. You were meant to hear this conversation and maybe you're meant to give yourself permission to explore something a little bit different or deeper or further or request further elaboration in your own life as you know one of my favorite characters from wandavision said so i think it's really a kind of cool thing to be a an explorer
1: it is and i'm gonna play devil's advocate to an extent when you explore as you mentioned you mm-hmm. expand your horizons you be- have uh you know, a broader awareness, you become more conscious to more things. But when you're conscious to more things that you don't want to be conscious to, you can't turn that off after you're conscious to them.
0: No, you can't. No, you really can't. I literally just had this conversation like two days ago where I just was like, oh my God, there's so much stuff I wish I didn't know.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But You know, at the end of the day it's great, but there were moments that I I had this conversation a few weeks back with a buddy of mine and he was like, Dude, it's because you're conscious of it. You can't turn that off, you know? I forgot what we were even discussing, but that's the only thing.
0: But I think it could be applied to anything. You can apply that to history, you can apply that to religion. I mean, when I took in, when I went to university, my degree is in healthcare and public healthcare and public administration, and I was in an accelerated like master's class and program. Almost made it to the end, but my mom died. But one of the classes that I wanted to take but was only offered to upperclassmen was witchcraft on a university level. So I went to the guidance council. I was like, I want to take this class. And she goes, you can't. She's like, you, you can't take the class. She goes, you have to be like an upperclassman to be able to do it. So I read her on the spot. Like I literally broke my own rules and I read her and she got me in the class. So now I'm like, this is going to be like really cool. So the class was packed clearly and teacher walks in and he just like goes, ladies and gentlemen, what a robust class I have to teach this semester. Welcome to Theology 101. Mm -hmm. and everybody in the room all did the same thing. We were like, "Like, are we in the right room? And then he paused and he goes, oh, the witchcraft part. He goes, yeah, 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 we'll get to that. He goes, but you know, reading really is fundamental and it's really important that you guys read Everything. Because the description of the class was witchcraft and other theological pursuits. Right. And we had to literally go do the history of freaking religions for the entire semester. I would have never, (laughs) ever signed up for that class. But boy, oh boy, did it open my mind. Like boy, oh boy, did I have a non-Catholic, open-minded, wow! Let's look at what's been done in the name of religion over the centuries. Kind of perspective where it used to be like, okay, on Sundays I would do this, and okay, if I don't go to mass, then I have to go to confession. Like okay, and then I no act of contrition on the side. Like, but now I'm like looking at all the other type of you know theologies and beliefs and how things were intertwined or disconnected. Or and there's a part of me honestly that was like, wow, I kind of wish I didn't take this class. So there is a little bit of ignorance is bliss, and when you know, you know. Yeah. So I agree.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. As we were having that conversation, I wrote something down and I'm really curious to get your take on it. I looked at the upper right hand portion of my laptop where the time is and it said 444. Now I'm hmm. seeing numbers in synchronicity constantly, almost to the point it's a little scary. I'm curious to learn what you think those things mean.
0: So I think that there are a number of patterns that get established or can be established and you have your own spiritual team like your own producers in the afterlife that might not be grandma and grandpa, right? Energies that maybe in this lifetime you never knew, but they're assigned to you. They're your teachers in spirit. So let's just say that we have a, you have a spirit team. Everybody listening to this has their own team. I always want people to kind of connect with their team. Well, sometimes the team gets a little bit louder when folks aren't paying attention and they establish a real world kind of like pull. So earlier you heard me say, if I'm going to an area, I get a pull and I'm in that section, Yep. just like that. So you might be pulled to a license plate, 444. You might be driving behind a bus, 444 you might establish a pattern of recognizing something but then there's a point where I want people to recognize that you can be looking for it too so like after somebody loses a loved one there will be an established kind of like what I call the ABCs of grief. And there's a lot of things that will take place after a loved one happens. And I want people to know that they're all normal, they're all real, but I don't like bringing them up in readings. So if anybody comes to see me, I will say right up front, I'm not going to be talking about butterflies and cardinals and dragonflies and hummingbirds and ladybugs, ladybugs and blue jays and finding change and seeing 1111 and 222 and 333. And I go down like a litany of things that are normal that everybody's having and they're real and I don't want to take away from it, but I kind of feel like mm, not my job. My job is to go a little bit deeper than that, but Like to validate for people if you're having those experiences, yes. But you want to take it beyond that. So in the moment you're asking me that question, I would say then you need to say, what does that mean to me? Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to you when you're seeing it? Is it happening specifically with another? event or occurrence? Is there a pattern that's developing? Because that's how symbolism is created, right? There's a continuity of what takes place. And you go, oh, every time I see that, it means this. That's what you have to figure out. And it'll be different for everybody. You know, one person's cardinal is a positive thing. Another person's cardinal is a negative thing.
1: Yeah. How much of that is our reticular activating system? What does that mean? Part of the brain that continuously, so for instance, if you and I start talking about a Tesla Model X, and then you're on the LIE later, and then you just continue to see the Tesla Model X. That's the part of the brain that just keeps recognizing that. Do you feel like that ties into this at
0: all? Or do you just... Th- well, I think I think that's the name for what I, that second part of it is. I think that first yeah. part is an, is an established, well, that's weird. Why do I keep seeing that? And that at a certain point, it becomes what you're looking for. Yeah. Like I used yeah. to tease my mom. My mom's birthday was July 21st. And when they lived in Brooklyn, they lived at 927 as their address. So she used to see 721 and 927 and be like, oh, that's my number. Oh, there's my number. And I laughed one day and said, oh my God, you're clearly looking for it. I go, and that's why you're able to find it. So you're seeking out that on some unconscious level. And she goes, why do you have to be like that? And I'm like, be like what? She's like, why can't you just like, let it be that that's my number. But in my brain, it was like, not logical. My brain was like, no, she's looking for it. And therefore she's like finding it no different than you'd be like driving in the highway going punch buggy blue. You know, it's like, there's one, there's the one, there's one. I equated it in the same way. And then she passed. And I remember being on Willis Avenue, right, getting ready to go under the underpass where the old loco building was. And there was a Howard Johnson's on the left. And I was at that light and I was literally just lost in my thoughts. I was thinking about nothing, just in a, you know, I was in grief. I was in a dark place and I was not paying attention. And I remember literally feeling like somebody took my chin and turned. And as I felt that, I heard, that's my number. And when I looked over the gas station, the prices of the gas were the same numbers of her birth date and the and the and the, the whatever and i just remember thinking like wow okay so i clearly was not looking for that i wasn't even thinking about that okay point made and then I went like this: We're not going to do that. Like, I'm not looking for numbers everywhere. Like, I can't, cause I, cause to me, numbers are numerological. So, like, when I hear numbers, I don't look for the patterns. I immediately go to numerology. So, you tell me that your birthday is October seventh. I immediately go, oh, he's in a, he's got, he's in a five year this year. Like, that's where my brain goes. So, I immediately go, like, okay, so now I know that you're dealing with from October of this year to October of last year, you're going to be going through complete, utter transformation and change because that's what five means. So, that's how my brain works.
1: That's so powerful. I I don't even want to let you go. I know I have to. So with that being said, I just want to let everyone know that links to websites, socials, books, all of that good stuff will be in the show notes. But I have two questions for you. The first one being, what should we make people aware of? What do you have going on in the life of John? New books, projects, anything like that that we should make people aware of?
0: You know, I think my work is kind of like evergreen in the sense that whether I'm doing an event or not, I still want people to be aware of what, what it is that I'm doing. Not because I want you to come see me, which is a really weird thing to say, but like I just want you to be aware of what I'm doing. Like I want you to be aware of the subject matter. And that might mean go read other books on mediumship. Like, you know, people go, which books of yours should I read? And I literally am a publisher's nightmare because I'll go, "Mm, I don't really feel comfortable telling you that. And he'll be like, what? I'm like, go to a, go to the bookstore or go to Amazon. Let the book pick you, because mm. I'm very clear of the fact that maybe my book is not the right one for that person. So, doesn't make publishers very happy. But I really do feel that way. Like I really feel like, what if somebody else's book is going to be better? What if the message is going to resonate differently? So, I think be a student. You said it earlier. You know, you're being a student. I think we all need to be students. I'm still a student. I think the moment that I'm not a student doing this, I should not be doing it. My mediumship card should be taken away. My ability should be like put on lockdown and be like, you should know better. Because that means that we can't learn and evolve and we're all still here. So if we're here, we're evolving. Hopefully I
1: respect it. Absolutely. So I'm going to finish it with one last question and then I got to let you go. Okay. You make it to whatever year you want to live to. You write as many books, host as many events, hop on as many podcasts, do everything you want to do, but you can only be remembered for one piece of advice. What piece of advice is that?
0: Communicate, appreciate, and validate the people while they're here in your life. So a medium like myself doesn't have to do it for you and try to leave people better than you find them.
1: That's a beautiful freaking thing. I love that. John, that's a beautiful way to end this. I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I'm really grateful for it. Uh, This is incredible. I actually want to ask you one thing. I've been going around New York City. I've been being very TikTok-y. We just started this on on, um, Saturday. I've been approaching people and asking them a question. And now I had an idea that I wanted to put the question in the power of the people that I'm interviewing. So I'll give you an example. I had asked being that the show is called Decoding Success. I've been going around asking how people personally define success. But on our conversation, what's a question you think I should be asking people?
0: I would ask people, what are they thinking? What are not, they how thinking? Are, not how are they feeling? What are they what thinking? Are you thinking? They, I love yeah. that. I'm going to do that. Because if you're asking somebody what they're thinking, then they're going to give you a window into where they're looking. Mm, that is a, a great, thing. it's a great tip I use for parents with young kids when they're uncertain about how to get them to emote. I say, don't ask them how they're feeling. Ask them how they're thinking. Ask them what mm-hmm. they're thinking. They'll say nothing, nothing. And then you have to be thinking something and that'll be a, that'll be a conversation starter. What do you, th- That's what do you a
1: beautiful thinking? Thing. That's a beautiful thing. John, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. For Thanks for having time. me. Great questions. I appreciate it. Good luck. You have just tuned into the The Coding Success Podcast featuring John Edward. Now, first and foremost, I want to express gratitude to each and every one of you again. You help us get to top 1% globally. That is absolutely incredible, so I want to say thank you. Beyond that, I want to urge you to make sure that you're sharing this episode. There's a reason you're still listening to it. It's because it was of value to you. So whether you share it on social, whether you share it with your friends, whether you share it word of mouth, email, text, however, it's really important because there's someone in your life that also needs to hear this, and they trust you enough to believe that you will send them something that will be of value. So I'm urging you to make sure that you're sharing this. Again, these are totally free, but if there was a fee, it would be to share. Shout out to John. You can check him out in the show notes of this episode. Websites, socials, all of that good stuff can be found in the show notes. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.